You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rest and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about a heroic chronicle. So, a Heroic Chronicle is a system that was introduced in the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. However, even though a lot of the stuff that is talked about in the official version is Wildmount specific, it is a fantastic option for building a backstory. And even though, again, a lot of it is Wildmount specific, using it as inspiration as a method to build a backstory absolutely makes it valuable for characters and dungeon masters in any world so this is a fairly uh long and in-depth series of charts that are in the wildmount book so let's go ahead and just kind of dive right in so we have talked quite a lot in the past about just different options for making a backstory and I have also mentioned that there's a lot of good charts in the Xanathar's Guide to Everything that also allow you to build a backstory. However, something that makes the Heroic Chronicle in particular different in ways that I appreciate is that it introduces additional mechanics because of background choices. And I'll absolutely get more into exactly what that means later on. So, first things first. It gives an option to roll a D100 to pick out your homeland. So this is a, the first chart is immediately Wildmount specific, but again, just using it as a term, uh, just as something to in, for inspiration's sake. Like if you just have, you know, let's just say three populated continents on your world that interact with each other in like the campaign that you're currently playing then you can just have it be like oh yeah you know most people are from the mainland here but then there's also these two other smaller continents that you may be from and again anything on a background chart you can roll but if you have a specific idea you can of course just talk with your dungeon master and just say like hey i would like to do this this and this but then roll for these ones because i don't have strong feelings on that and that is absolutely fine which is part of why i really like the heroic chronicle to help you make a background and not necessarily to do just absolutely everything by role although you can do that too but anyway like going with the three continents example like you could even have it be like yeah you know one through 57 on the d100 means you're from the mainland you know 58 through 79 is this other smaller continent to the north and then you know 80 to 100 is the third one like it doesn't have to be like a 33 33 33 34 but you know and just having it split off that way just can make it to be a little bit different because then you can potentially use this 
as from the dungeon master perspective to kind of add other cultures in your world to try to show like ah you know this is this person is from someplace farther away than what we've you know seen in the game or you know podcast before to use the Riftwake example to see other people from elsewhere based on just their background to show that they are from elsewhere with a different culture now uh then it goes on to giving you like the actual background like you know capital b from you know dungeon master guys player's handbook all the other various books that just have backgrounds so you know you've got your typical acolyte entertainer yada 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 there's a lot of them uh that is a thing that you could definitely roll for but like that's one that i actually do kind of prefer to just pick because that is something that affects the build of your character it affects the story of your character so just like picking like the mechanical background that your character has is something that i recommend so the next one is fantastic to me because it introduces something that most players and honestly even dungeon masters don't usually think about in terms of player characters and that is social status there are a lot of different people in any world that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and yet that is really rarely if ever actually brought up as something in a D&D game like you might have the mention that you know the rogue was an urchin and therefore just you know grew up poor but you don't really talk about just everyone else who just everyone comes from some kind of background so to think about okay so you do come from like maybe you know you may not be a noble but maybe you do come from like a wealthy merchant family and that's something that is separate from the actual background because it's just something in the background of your background but a good thing to think about to just kind of have a bigger feel for your character in terms of just what they grew up around what kind of people they would have interacted with what kind of you know knowledge they would have been exposed to it's just a good thing to know and think about for your characters and as an addition to that system there is a nice large d20 chart with social status relationships and this combines the social status as well as the d100 chart from earlier because different backgrounds in different places will influence something about how you grew up and this introduces a new system of rivals or allies from your history and that is awesome because this is something that just completely changes and well not changes but adds to how background influences the current game because so many times the background that a character picks is just something to like get them trained in like stealth and survival or some such or they just do it you know because they are supposed to pick one so they just do so at almost random but by having there be a npc that can get tied to their background that helps flesh out the character flesh out the world and just to give a quick example of how this can work like if you have the criminal background on this chart then it shows that if you come from you know certain places then that can give you a rival which makes sense because a criminal would be more likely 
to develop a rivalry through a criminal history. On the other hand, there is a chance that they have developed an ally. So maybe they have like a fence who can help, you know, sell shady goods for them. Or maybe they do have like a kind of friendly, you know, friendlier rivalry kind of situation where it's just like pushing each other to do better. And just the whole idea of there being rivals and allies is really something that I don't see a lot in fifth edition D&D. And it's it's so simple on paper but it just gives so many more options to everyone at the table to flesh out the world so next up you have a home settlement so this is another kind of neat one because the original d100 kind of home chart is for the big picture what you know kingdom you're from what continent you're from something along those lines just depending on how you set up you know, the demographics of your world, but this is where it kind of narrows in a little more. So just what town or city is your character from? So this is the kind of thing that dungeon masters would have to do a good amount of work for to actually make these charts to figure out, okay, like what are, let's say the 10 most likely cities that you might be from, if you're from this region or this kingdom, what have you, and then to actually do make that d100 chart to figure out ah yes you know uh you are you know 10 percent chance of being from vetrum to use the riffwick example or maybe you've got you know a five percent chance of being born in the capital and to have that in a chart for the sake of character building can be a valuable thing uh actually a quick tangent just because this is a good time to bring it up there are going to necessarily be a good amount of just work done on the dungeon master's part to adapt all of this to non-wild mount worlds however again just because there is a chart here as part of the heroic chronicle does not mean that every single thing has to be done if you want to just pick i am from this place and not worry about the charts then do that because Dungeon Masters have a lot on their plate already. If they are willing to put in the work to make, you know, the kind of demographics distribution to figure out the randomness of being from a particular place, I find that to be helpful. They're called Remy. I might have already done it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so next up, race. So, oddly enough, like this is one that has a lot of math to kind of figure out because this is a thing listed here that you can just roll for yeah so whether you do want to be you know human gnome dwarf elf halfling what have you there's a lot but in the wild mount book again each like named area has those percentages broken down for you to be able to roll if you do want to just roll for your race. And this is one that I actually have a kind of curiosity about because I am a numbers nerd. This is known. But uh, to consider just like playing a character that is just fully randomly rolled, I think could be an interesting experience to kind of force me out of my typical mold. So honestly, I'm considering doing a completely rolled character for my next one. So I, I actually have an opinion on uh, completely random characters. So there, there's, there's, pl like, there's positives and negatives to it, of course, because the positives, it's random. What you get might be something really unique and really interesting to play. 
and then there's a negative, which is um, it's random. <laughs> what you get might be really interesting and really not fun to play. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, just because I do tr- like make the character initially with a hundred percent rolls doesn't necessarily mean that I can't tweak things you know before we start playing like if i do end up you know rolling and i you know roll randomly and get like the sage background but a barbarian character like that doesn't quite fit so i might you know just go ahead and re-roll the background to have yeah that that kind of thing where the like let's say that that one cantrip is stated to be oh okay uh pick a random cantrip and then you're like oh it's not prestidigitation, and and you just quickly well, change it. You know, my soul, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, to be fair, if I just got like mending or something else, like that would still be a particularly useful one to just grow up with. But uh, yeah, like if I did just you know do a random roll and I have like a barbarian entertainer, like huh, that's not something that I would have thought about before. So okay, so when I do you know roll my ability scores, maybe I'll give them like the twelve into charisma, you know, instead of wisdom to like have that kind of show that you know okay yeah like this character has just like made some different choices than you know I would have from the min max perspective just because to make them more human for lack of a better phrase just more of a just natural person because people don't min max naturally like you know i myself as a human have got real shitty physical ability scores and yeah like i have you know the money to go to a gym or whatever but i'm not going to the the way that people work is more like a case where you can have people who are literally amazing at pretty much everything and people are shit at everything and and there's there can be in betweens but generally you know you're gonna find a lot of people who are good at a couple of things people are great at one thing it's a mess and that's <laughs> life yeah like honestly something that i think would be kind of interesting but absolutely terrifying to me as a player would be like imagine if there was a role to figure out how many ability score points you had that would be terrifying yeah that would suck no like can you imagine when you're born it's like okay this is just how much potential as a human you have (laughs) yeah yeah like there are certain uh i think there's certain games and stuff that actually have that as a method like a real thing within the world where people actually have levels and stuff and i just think it's horrifying to know how good you can become because in real in the real world right sure there's uh technically a probable um limit to your potential and stuff but without these um systems that are clearly obvious you can just imagine yourself in positions that you if, if you had that you know like oh i i won't hit level uh 17 so i will never become uh that position which would suck I mean, that's a whole separate conversation is to think about like if there's a natural level cap to people. And honestly, that might right. be worth its own episode just on a level cap in the future. But just like, OK, let's look at like the superhero RPG perspective of to think of that a different way. Like you're going to have, you know, your Superman, your Wonder Woman people out there. But then you also have like the kid in X-Men who can just change the channel by blinking. Like, that, that's, just... a, that's a really cool power shit mate <laughs> it, it, it's, it's kind of kind of useless nowadays because most people don't watch television but shit I, I, I would kill someone to have the ability to like I don't know fucking stream video from my eyeballs or something uh, yeah that'd be cool but yeah but the point being though like oh, 
uh, that was a bit of a tangent but yeah it in theory like that is something that could be considered but that's tangential to this episode <laughs> all right next up is another one that i never see people well i shouldn't say never i very 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 rarely see which is thinking about family what how big is the family that you come from? Not every adventurer needs to be an orphan with a tragic backstory. Well, orphans, Remy. What no. are you talking about? No. I, I, you know, like a vast majority of people in this world are orphans. I'm telling you, you know, they, 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 they from birth. OK, this is a world of orphans. It's a world of orphans. There are no, there are no, nobody, nobody but, keeps that joke. But you at home don't need to make a world of orphans. <laughs> this, no, this sounds like the start of like a adopt kids, guys. <laughs> Some bullshit. It's like, you gotta keep your kids away for just fifty cents a day. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So this is actually a chart that I really, really like. It's a very efficient one. So it's yet another D100 chart to figure out, okay, how many living parents do you have as well as how many siblings do you have? So siblings in particular is something I see even less than living parents, oddly enough, because most people in the world have siblings. And yet yep. in D&D, like, honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of any player character in a game I myself have been in that has actually had a sibling, which is honestly right. just kind of odd just from the demographics perspective. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. Oh? Who picks that? Hey. Oh, you know, you're right. Sister. I, you are correct. And that was an interesting use of, you know, a sibling who is also a rival that which just goes to show like right. that is the kind of setup that you can create with this system. I would say that I, I feel like very often that there's two reasons for the often thing. First one, players lazy doesn't really want to write backstory, too much backstory. I understand that, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other one is that players who are very experienced and understand the power that a DM holds and wields and how much of um how much a danger <laughs> family and siblings are when it comes to what and motivations. Yeah. We we all know Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. But and she honestly, wasn't even family to to be certain. She was just a kid that you kind of adopted. Yeah. And but seriously though, like this is a really good thing to think about. Just how many living parents do you have? Like are you an orphan? Are you, you know, from a single parent home? Are both of your parents alive? And one thing that's just kind of funny to me, there actually is option on these charts to have three or more parents. Like apparently if you're from a village using this chart. So actually a uh, quick tangent. There's actually two charts here for if you're from a village or if you're from a city because you're generally going to have different amount of siblings depending on if you are, you know, rural or urban. Oh, yeah, right. And so the fact that they do have that as separate charts is just a nice little detail on their part. But anyway, so yeah, so there is apparently a chance of like, you know, you coming from a polyamorous relationship of just having three or more parents. And I just think it's kind of neat that they included that. Hi there, guys. Um, this is the Orgy Village. We at the Orgy Village um, 
with all parents uh, to I mean, all the children. Maybe, maybe it is just like a kind of you know commune kind of situation where it's just you know all kids are just raised by the town, and like they may not even know for sure exactly like who the father is for certain kids, and then you just raise everybody just to be you know good children of the village. Like that very well could be a thing that exists in your world. There's going to be some accidental incest, but. I mean, that happens in villages all the time anyway. I mean, that's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, classic movie. Uh, yeah, Seidel and uh, her tailor, they're cousins. They know that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Rips and Rolls. Uh, this is what you came for. Yeah, where, where Remy gives the breakdown on old movies of things that you may not have noticed that are problematic as hell. Uh, Juliet was 12 years old in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, no. <laughs> different times, everyone. Different times. Yeah. Yeah. And like her. Yeah. And her mom goes on a whole speech about how like she's practically an old maid at 12. <laughs> Anyway, and she's a spinster. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a distraction. But anyway, family. So another just build on to just having living family is that they have an yet another chart of powerful family relationships. And this is yet another just really clever thing to me, because this is that kind of, you know, uh, Lupix and Lucrezia situation of just you might have a powerful relationship with specific family members. It might be really good. It might be really bad. And this chart like is a thing that you can roll on or just pull from to help build those kinds of familial relationships. And it's kind of ironic. The very first one on this list, you thought you killed this family member, whether by accident or otherwise. You never Holy expected shit. to see them again, but now they're out for your blood. You gain one rival. Like, this is straight for Lucrezia's character sheet. <laughs> like, like, it has the parts. <laughs> yeah. Like, the fact that it does have the, both the good and bad things potentially in this chart is interesting. As well as just the idea of having a powerful family relationship, because even in like actually not even, but just in most large families, like you're going to have like one or two people that you might be closer to. So you might have like your one sibling who's the one that you typically hang out with, you know, your one parent who you, you know, go to first if you're having a, you know, struggle with something like so to have this chart specifically for those kinds of situations of like you know yeah you know you know you go to dad whenever you're having trouble you have the one sibling who's you know your you know younger sister who you know you help raise and take care of and it just is your favorite and then you also yeah. have like your older brother who just gives you trouble endlessly and then that could be we, the we more need we need angle. more family in D &D. I'm, I'm just saying it right now yeah. like that's that's there's limit, limitless options for DMs to ruin everything and hey, make people feel things. No, stop it. <laughs> no, bad Nathan. DMs at home, please, please take that advice with a grain of salt. Let's do it. You, Come you on. can be the absolutely terrible Kill to your all. players. Kill them all. Oh, God damn it, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> You're a terrible person.
Anyway, so I've mentioned a couple of times that allies and rivals can be a thing to you, but exactly what that is can be really variable. So it could just be that you have, you know, an ally from your backstory who just is your favorite sibling or your, you know, maybe your parent is in some kind of position of authority in the Merchants Guild that can be beneficial to you as an adventurer. And then they could be, you know, an a like mechanically speaking, you know, capital A ally to, you know, yourself and your party. However, there is yet another set of D100 charts about other ways that you can have allies and rivals. And this is something that I really, really like too. So just the first one off the ally chart. This ally is a loyal pet. Rather than rolling on the ally and rival identities table, choose one beast of CR 1 eighth or lower as your pet that's awesome because a lot of the time people want to have a pet but dms aren't sure of what kind of mechanics or how strong a creature to allow that might mess with things but this way you mechanically by just may using have, this system can have a pet may i have a a, a chihuahua i'm pretty sure that would be one c8 uh, one eighth cr or lower so mechanically speaking that checks out uh-huh <laughs> And yeah, and there's like 10 things on this chart that you can pick from. And like a lot of them are just like really neat to just think about for your backstory. So even if, you know, you're not directly, you know, using the entirety of this system, the entire Heroic Chronicle just is nice to get just get ideas from. So uh, then moving on to the rivals side of things. Let me just pick a fun one here. Ba, 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 ba. Ah, you fled from your home under mysterious circumstances. This person is obsessed with finding out the truth of what caused you to leave. That's pretty cool. And again, another thing that I like is that a lot of these are very open to interpretation as well. So is it the kind of situation where like you ran away in the night and like your childhood friend you know, wants to find out why, whether like you did something bad and then left, or did you just disappear in the night? Or like, did you, you know, do something and then like the, you know, the guards of your hometown, like, are keeping an eye out for word of you, like each thing on this list has options on how you can interpret it. So each of the 10 things could potentially be 10 things easily. And anything that is that open to interpretation is just nifty. Interpretation. Uh, yes, I do like having multiple interpretations. So uh, there is also a little just a note kind of at the bottom of those charts, which is secret identities, which is that you might have an ally or rival, but not know about it. And this is the kind of thing that does not actually have to be from your choices in the background. This is something that can be chosen by you or can be just implemented by the dungeon master maybe there are just situations where your characters do just get up to certain types of shenanigans and then you can just use that to have them become an ally or a rival potentially unknown to the party and that just lets you just set up some fun dominoes and then there's yet more there's a lot of charts in this obviously there is yet another D100 chart about ally and rival identities. And by identity, they actually are referring more to NPC stat blocks, which is interesting because it lets you kind of figure out how powerful 
an, or influential potentially your ally or rival can be. So that could be anything from a commoner, a bandit, a knight, a guard, an assassin, an archmage. Like, there's a lot of things on this chart. And the fact that this could be a good or bad thing for a character, just depending on the situation that happens, makes it such a versatile tool to potentially use to flush out a backstory of a character. Because maybe there is a situation where... Like, okay, you know, you rolled for your family, like your family turns out to be really, really well off and you end up like having your parents have done a massive favor for this archmage, you know, but then, you know, the favor just ends up passed down to you because you take up the adventuring lifestyle. The fact that that's just a thing that your character might or might not know that they kind of have this one favor that they can call on is just interesting from the world building perspective or that there might be this like one bandit who just is in this you know specific place near your hometown that might just like you know maybe you you know spared him once in the past and then like he knows to like he wants to just return the favor somehow or other one day so it might be that you could call on him for information about like other bandits around the area like having there be like good and bad individuals that might be helpful or hindrance to the party it's just such a flexible system that just does give so many opportunities to players and dungeon masters however there is an additional thing that is mentioned on this identities chart which is that certain more you know prominent things on here you know like the archmage the noble has an additional note here that is gain one fateful moment and this is honestly the thing that first drew my interest in the heroic chronicle in totality because this is additional mechanics that can add to a character based on the use of this system now before i actually even go over exactly what kind of mechanics this adds on this is where i need to mention that a player should talk to Dungeon Master before just saying that, oh yeah, I've done this. I have, you know, all of this extra stuff from my character creation. Like, there are Dungeon Masters who may not be pleased that, you know, players just did that without DM okay. Or may not even know because they're like me and they don't actually check. <laughs> yeah, or that. But But just for, you know, courtesy's sake, please just check with your dungeon masters that it's okay to use the heroic chronicle because it would just be rude not to but uh yeah so the fateful moments is a full d20 chart that just adds some form of extra mechanical benefit for the most part not all of it is actually mechanical but it adds something to your character and some of them may not necessarily work for the other stuff that you roll, but again, like that's what cooperation with your dungeon master is for to kind of finagle it or just to re-roll if absolutely needed. So just uh, to pick one, well, I'm going to just pick two things on here just to show the kind of different things available here. So just the number one on the list, your parents were murdered in front of you. Roll on the ally and rival identities table to determine the type of creature that killed them. You have proficiency in the stealth and survival skills. So these fateful moments 
can add a lot to a character potentially because you have the drama of a mur- of a family murdered you have the addition of an ally or rival and, well rival because they killed your parents and then you also have two skills added to your character sheet that's a lot going on in just this one kind of moment and that i think is a pretty good example of exactly why i think that you might want to just check in with your dm so there's another one here number seven that you know obviously me being me is going to draw my interest a famous mage saw potential in you and tutored you in the arcane arts you have a spell book and the magic initiate feat from the player's handbook i have ranted at length in the past that i do not like that variant human is the only race that is able to get a feat at level one this creates an a canonical in book version to give your player a feat at level one and I mean, going by on. the inspiration so angle and going by the inspiration angle just because we now have that precedent with this option that there are ways through background to give a character a feat is brilliant to me because that does then imply that you as the dungeon master are within your right to just allow players to have a feat at level one and maybe this could be just like a world building decision on your part because we've also talked you know back in demographics that thinking about what it is that is separates your player characters from the npcs of the world has a lot of dimension to that discussion so this could be an option of this is what separates the potential of your player character adventures from npcs in the world like if you assume that maybe everyone is able to gain xp everyone is able to level everyone is has you know player classes like maybe the difference could be like if yours is a higher magic world potentially that the difference could be that your player characters start at level one with a feat in addition to everything else, which makes them a little bit more unique in the world without being massively overpowered compared to, you know, just, you know, starting with just more hit points or no one else can have player classes. Just like having just a bonus feat at level one is a really valuable bonus to characters to you know get to a particular build to have particular skills or ability score you know that extra point that some feats grant like it's so flexible that it's just brilliant so oddly enough uh it then goes on to have favorite food be the next thing that is on here and there are uh let's see here four d8 charts about just like the various types of foods or drinks that exist in like the four main areas in Wildmount. And this is honestly something that I would say could be just copy pasted because I'll be honest, like thinking about like food and culture is not something that I'm great at. Like if that's something that, you know, you dungeon masters at home just have a good head for it, then kudos to you. But I'm not good at that. So having, you know, 32 things here listed that I can just take like, ah, yes, this is definitely a thing that I thought of for my world. Yeah. And then just to distribute these of like, oh, yes, you know, uh, let me see here. 
Trost, a sweet dark ale brewed in Trostenwald. I just need to, you know, cross off that Trostenwald and insert my city name here. Like maybe the, like I have this just other city that just has this, you know, reputation for this sweet dark ale. And just being able to distribute these things that I'm not good at thinking of to just take use of the existing charts to add to the world building in my world. All right. And next up, we've got the mysterious secret. You saw something you weren't supposed to. A note came into your possession by mysterious means. A child friend spoke to you of a cryptic message. Whatever its source, a secret has haunted you your entire life. What is it? You can roll on the mysterious secrets table or work with your DM to create a secret. And like again, this is another common thing in a lot of D&D is the idea of there being like mysterious magic and destiny and all of that weird kind of stuff going on. And yet a lot of games don't actually lean into the more mythic angles of storytelling. And this gives you an option that you can use to kind of set up one of those situations. So just to pull one, uh, one thing here. Years ago, my best friend came to me in the middle of the night and gave me a key that glowed with an icy blue light. I never saw that friend again. Dang, okay, there's a good bit happening there. So you have a vanished best friend and this mysterious key. So two angles that you as the DM can weave into a story. All right, and now we come up to the final thing here, which is prophecy. Prophecy is a massive trope throughout pretty much all types of fiction and yet doesn't actually get used in a lot of D&D because it's fucking hard honestly so trying to figure out like to write a prophecy that you know might you know be about one of your characters is real hard and trying to figure out okay how do you do that how do you run that like that's honestly pretty complicated and I'll be honest I'm not even super fond of the way that they do that here. But again, using it for inspiration is the angle that I'm recommending here. So the way that they do this is not like you write a prophecy specifically. So the way that they suggest doing this is that the player writes down three aspirations or goals for the character that they want to achieve over the course of the campaign. So there's honestly a lot more words that they use to kind of talk about it, but I'm just going to focus on just that little bit. So having three long-term goals and whether you as the DM want to kind of treat this system as like the kind of more mystical prophecy angle, you can. So you have there be these three things that you as the DM kind of weave together that are like leading them along a path. Like maybe there was like a prophecy that, you know, they will become the ruler of a kingdom one day. And, you know, you as a DM have a lot of room for interpretation with something like that. So maybe there is the kind of thing where like they have the, you know, uh, because there is these three goals, it could be like a buildup to like the final thing with just the steps along the way. So, okay, they might be a ruler one day, but then maybe there's like they will slay some fearsome beast, you know, to that will, you know, increase their infamy throughout the lands. Uh, and they might then have, you know, some other thing. Uh, they 
take down corruption in some, you know, mysterious location, and that that gains them, uh, you know, uh, favor from an existing ruler that might, you know, give them, you know, I don't know, the land permission that they might one day become their kingdom. So then you have, you know, okay, beast, corruption, rulership, as this kind of three steps along the path to that long-term goal and that gives so much for a dm to play with it gives the player character like agency in terms of like things that might happen in the campaign so like maybe it is you know like let's just say that i'm doing this for a character in riftwake like i might say you know um okay uh we end up you know, killing a crime lord, you know, in the city of thieves. But uh, we then at some point end up in a fight against a beholder that ends up going badly and then, you know, ends up being, (laughs) I don't know, just because it's me, somehow you become a beholder and you just have these three steps. Like, obviously, you know, Nathan probably wouldn't allow me to just be that ridiculous with it. But I mean, maybe he would. Maybe you, Dungeon Master's Home, might allow just kind of ridiculous shenanigans. I I know, I know. But I'm just kind of giving an example, and that's the first to come to mind. So it might be the kind of thing like, okay, yeah, you know, you take out a crime lord, and then, okay, let's go more Forgotten Realms then, where it is a kind of higher magic than Riftwake. Okay, you're in, you know, Waterdeep, and you destroy a rival you know, crime lord, the Xanathar takes interest in you and, you know, you find out his secret and, you know, it attacks and the fight goes badly because it's a beholder. And then, you know, later on, you end up working for the Xanathar guild and eventually, you know, the campaign goes well enough that you get to the point of having true polymorph as a spell that you then use to polymorph yourself into a beholder, which you then use the power of to kill the Xanathar and become the Xanathar. Like, that's technically a thing that would be doable by rules as written. So the scale at which you might want to use this, though, can be very, very different. And honestly, just to instead of using this kind of system as prophecy, honestly, just having there be character goals without any kind of mystical significance is probably the way that I would honestly lean towards actually making this be more useful. So that could be a situation of, okay, you know, you give me an end goal for your character at the start, and then you can just name two events. Like maybe a you know player just really, really likes a monster, the boulette. And just like at some point, they just like ask you the DM, like they just want to fight a boulette. And so that could just be a thing that you have in your pocket. Like maybe, you know, they get to the desert and they, you know, see the bullet and, you know, then they you just use the things that they ask you to kind of shape the storyline of the campaign. And rewarding players is something that honestly, I am I don't feel is done often enough. So in the, you know, official heroic chronicle in Wildmount book, the reward for accomplishing the prophecy goals are lame as fuck, in all honesty. For the next 1d10 days, the character gains inspiration whenever they finish a long rest. Ooh, so they're finishing some massive point of their character, and all they get is a d10 day's worth of inspiration? 
I don't care. That doesn't feel like an appropriate reward at all. And like, there are some other options, but they're all kind of similar to that. Like, have rewards suit the difficulty of the things that you throw at your players. And giving non-standard rewards is honestly something that I highly suggest doing more of. So if you do have the situation where, okay, like your characters become, you know, lords of a keep at around 10th level or so, and like that's a huge freaking milestone and it might have taken a lot to get there. And so as a reward for that, maybe it's a situation then like, okay, you know, all your characters gain like depending on how big you want to go with it, it could be like you give them a bonus ability score improvement or feat just as a reward for completion of this massive task because it may not be a thing that gives, you know, normal experience, but it's definitely a milestone that does deserve reward. So even if you're not using the milestone system of leveling by giving a potential additional reward as a reward for worthy tasks, could just really make the characters appreciate like yeah we done good and just that feeling of pride and accomplishment just can be a massively valuable thing and entertaining thing in a dungeons and dragons game in summary the heroic chronicle in the guide to wild mount gives a lot of additional options to flesh out the background as well as potential path for a player character and honestly even usable as uh, for the dungeon master for npcs and even if you don't want to do every single thing as a role taking inspiration from the massive list of charts that exist in that book can be a very valuable thing to flesh out the characters and in doing so flesh out the worlds. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars those a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at podcast on Facebook as Riffwake, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash podcast, and you can send us an email, riftsandrules at gmail.com. That's Riffs and Rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.